The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, everyone. Now that we're part of the LinkedIn Podcast Network, we're going to do more LinkedIn live events that will show up on the Negotiate Anything podcast. So what this means is that you have the opportunity to actually be part of some of these episodes. So if you haven't done it yet, make sure you follow me on LinkedIn so you can stay up to date on when these events are happening. And now, without further ado, let's jump into this LinkedIn live. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our live. And um, I guess since this is going to be uh, put on the Negotiate Anything podcast, welcome to Negotiate Anything Live. <laughs> so here's the framework that we're going to do. Um, I think the the live from last time went pretty well. So let's just keep on replicating that. I'm going to make three main points, and then I'm going to kick it to all of you for questions. As your questions come up, just put them in the chat as they come up. Don't feel like you need to wait for the Q&A section because Simone, our producer on the back end, he is going to be watching out in the comments to see which questions get the most likes. So if you have a really pressing question, ask it as soon as it comes up. And then if you like other people's questions, like it, and it makes it more likely that I'll answer those questions. Cool. Whitney Christian. Whitney Christian, we have a celebrity here in the house. Whitney Christian from Ohio. That Whitney is my wife, uh, the person who puts up with me every day. So thank you, Whitney. Thanks for coming. That's that's really exciting. Really exciting. Good to see you too, Jocelyn. Cool. So let's get into it. Now, when we're talking about AI, um, my perspective is that this is going to be one of the most revolutionary technologies um, that we ever see. And I actually had one of my favorite YouTubers who focuses on AI, who's been in artificial intelligence and machine learning in that world for 15 years. And um, that podcast is going to come out in probably a few weeks. Um, Simone, you could put the release date in the chat to let people know. Um, but it's really exciting to see the disruption that it, will, that it will cause. Now, I say exciting because just thinking about it from a historical perspective, it's exciting to be part of something that's historical, but it's also scary. I mean, how many of you out in the chat would describe this as scary? I know a lot of people are afraid of the technology, what it could potentially mean for the future of society. There are a lot of question marks that still exist about it. And there's going to be a lot of disruption in industries as it relates to potentially unemployment, but also new opportunities. And so for me, I want all of you to be caught up on the forefront of this as much as possible. So as I learn more about it, I want to share it for, with you. Now, you know my background. I am not a computer scientist or anything like that. I'm a lawyer, and my focus is on negotiation, communication, and conflict resolution. So my focus as it relates to this topic is going to be on how it impacts the future of human interaction, the future of human communication. That's really interesting because at the end of the day, no matter where things go with this technology, we're still going to have to have conversations. And some of the conversations that we're going to have or, or have to have soon are going to be on the topics of meaningful regulation of artificial intelligence. Um, that's more on a public policy macro level. But within our school systems, within our communities, within our workplaces, we're going to have to have conversations about what the integration, the meaningful and ethical integration of artificial intelligence into our workplace is going to look like. Again, I want you all to be well versed as it relates to this. So that's where I'm coming from with this. Okay. Now, um, as a lawyer, let me go ahead and show some of my lawyer bias. 
Um, I want to read this to you. So there was a Stanford study this year, and they found that with one of the previous versions, the last version of ChatGPT, GPT 3.5, it was it took the bar exam and it was down in the bottom 10th percentile of the bar exam, which is validating for me as a lawyer because that test was horrendous. <laughs> that test is really hard. Now, let's fast forward a, a few months. Now we have ChatGPT 4 just a few months later and it passed with scores approaching the 90th percentile. Now I'm jealous. <laughs> Now I'm jealous. This thing is smarter than me. It took me so long to learn this legal stuff and it got it in no time. And I think one of the things that we have to recognize is that right now where we are today, think about the amazing things that ChatGPT can do right now. Not just ChatGPT. We have Bard from Google as well. We have a lot of different other artificial intelligence platforms that are popping up all over the place. I think one of the most interesting ones to look at is AutoGPT which automates the uh, the artificial intelligence and you can give it a task and it just goes out onto the internet and does your bidding um, like a little minion, right? There, there are a lot of new interesting ones. But I think the thing that we have to remember that with all is that with all of the technological advances we've seen just in the past few months, this is right now the worst that it will ever be. This is the most primitive that AI will ever be. It's just going to keep getting exponentially better week by week, month by month. And so right now we might be able to look at it and say, hey, listen, I can, I've can. i seen it. I've played around with it. It's not going to cause any problems. It's not going to disrupt industries. There's not going to be technological employment. First of all, there already has been technological unemployment <laughs> because of AI. And second of all, it's rapidly increasing at an exponential rate. So we, we don't even know where it's going to be. And sometimes we're even surprised at the advances it can make in a short period of time. So in a 60 Minutes interview, the CEO of Google was talking about Bard and um, it was not taught how to speak Bengali and how to process in Bengali that language, but a few people decided to prompt it in Bengali and then it learned that language. And now it can operate in that way. And this is something called an emergent property. And it's one of those things where the technology learns something new. And the, even the researchers are sometimes shocked at what it learns and doesn't, and they don't even fully understand how it learned it. So the power of this could be potentially astronomical. So that's why I'm talking about this. So here are the three things that I'm going to focus on on this topic, and then I'm going to kick it out to you. Ask me anything. I want to hear from you. Okay. First, I want to talk about bias, and this is bias against the artificial intelligence, which is really interesting. It's called anthropocentric bias. Next, we're going to talk about the importance of human connection and human-centric skills. And then lastly, I think this is the most exciting thing to me, something that I'm calling centaur communication. Okay. So let's talk about anthropocentric bias. So they did this study one time and they had people compare art. And so what they wanted to do was see whether or not people cared if it was made by a human versus whether it was made by artificial intelligence. And what they found is that there's a consistent bias against the artificial intelligence. So if there's a piece of, if there's a piece of art, of art that you're looking at and it's the exact same piece of art and you say, this piece of art was made by a human, you'll rate it better. But if you say it's made by artificial intelligence, you'll rate it a little bit worse. And for me, that is somewhat in certain circumstances encouraging because it shows that us as humans are still biased towards humans 
And that means that there's always still going to be a place for humanity somewhere. We just don't know where, right? And what we have to recognize is that as artificial intelligence continues to improve, one of the things we have to watch out for is its ability to communicate in a human-like fashion. And that's going to be beneficial for a lot of companies because if you can automate, for example, customer service, it makes it a lot easier for you to operate your business. But for the people who are actually in the workforce, the reality of anthropocentric bias helps to make sure that we don't lose our seat at the table. Because let's say if I buy something and it's $10, $20, I can go back and forth with the chat bot. I don't really care. It's, it's not that big of a deal. But if I'm talking about big money deals where we're talking about 10,000, 100,000, a million dollars, those type of things, I'm going to want to talk to a person. I want to actually form a relationship because trust is really important. And so these human-centric skills of communicating effectively, building trust, building rapport, those type of things, at this point, because of anthropocentric bias, there is still that element of positive bias toward humanity that makes it more likely for us to retain a lot of our positions. But again, it's really important for us to recognize that AI is still going to cause disruptions, even though there is space for us still. Now, that brings us to the next point, the importance of human connection and skills. Now, I want to get an idea of the chat. So what do you, man, Alex, I see you, you dropping content bombs here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is good. So what do you all think about this in, in the chat? If you were to guess just on your... I just want this to be completely anecdotal. If you have a study, drop the study. I love studies. But do you think our communication skills as a species, just humanity, have our communication skills improved over the last 20 years with the, the rise of the internet? Or have they actually gotten worse? What do you think? Do you think in the last 20-ish years, have our communication skills, societally speaking, improved or have they gotten worse over time? I actually want to get your, your thoughts on this. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more, and we will be right back after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around 
with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. We have to recognize that artificial intelligence will also have an impact on the way that we interact with each other. It's going to have an impact on the, the quality of our conversation in some capacity. The question is how and in which direction, right? It's gotten worse. They've gotten worse. Communication skills have declined, gotten worse. Depends on the age group. Ooh, Pablo, I like that. I think that's important. It's not a matter of better or worse. I think that could be reductivist. Yeah, I could see that too. I think we have to consider in terms of better or worse, we have to consider the approach as it relates to the outcome. The approach that we're using for communication, are, is it narrowly tailored my lawyer is showing, right? Is it narrowly tailored to, to meet the objective? And so if our communication skills are not helping us to get closer to our goals, then we can say that they've decreased. But if they are, they can increase. So I think in some ways, okay, I can communicate a lot faster um, nowadays than before. So for instance, um, since Whitney's here, let me call her out here. At 1 a.m., the alarm went off at my house. I know this even though I was on the road. I was in Cleveland earlier today um, because I got a message, my phone alarmed. So I called I called Whitney. She said, hey, I was trying to fix the alarm at 1 a.m. And first of all, why are you fixing the alarm at 1 a.m.? <laughs> why are you trying to do this, right? Um, and But she said everything was fine, you know? And so that is a conversation that never could have happened before the, the internet, before cell phones, those type of things. So I think in terms of the opportunities we have to connect with people across distances, that has improved. But in terms of our human to human interactions with each other, um, that's it depends on the situation, but I think that they've decreased. And now when we have ChatGPT, we have BARD, we have all of these other um, large language models that are helping us communicate, what I'm realizing is that there is a risk of over-reliance on the models to facilitate communication. And so the art of actually taking the time to craft a, a an email or a letter or whatever it is, is going to be lost because chat GPT, AI, whatever it happens to be, they, it can do it instantaneously. I don't think that's too much of a loss because we've always did way too much of our lives sending emails. But when it comes to face-to-face -to -face human interaction or real-time human interaction on the phone or in video chat, we don't have the benefit of artificial intelligence helping us to craft our message in a really nuanced way. And so the increased reliance on this technology may continue to perpetuate the decrease in the quality of communication between people. And so that, we could look at that and say, that is sad. That's one thing. Well, that's one way we could look at it. Or we could look at this and say, hmm, this presents an opportunity for us in the market. The organizations and the individuals who actually take the time to double down on their humanity 
and delve deeper into what it takes to communicate and connect human to human, they're going to have an outsized advantage in the marketplace. Because as the skills, as those skills start to decrease in other people, if you start to increase those skills, then you're going to be in a better position to make sure that you stay invaluable to your organization. And so I think this is something that's really important for us to, to keep in mind when it comes to this. The, the value of human interaction and our uniquely human skills, that is not going to go away. So we have to keep on investing in those skills. And I think one of the most important reasons why is that the thing that we used to use to distinguish ourselves in the marketplace in, in certain sectors is going to be diminishing. And that's the quality and of our intellectual processes, more specifically the knowledge that we have. So for example, let's go back to the example I gave with the, with the uh, chat GPT and the bar exam, for example. Right. We saw in a very short period of time, it learned a ridiculous amount of of legal knowledge and the knowledge. This is the first time in history that technological unemployment is actually coming for the knowledge class where our intellectual advantage is becoming commoditized. And so we might look at these um, models right now and say, yeah, it's making a lot of mistakes when it gets to more nuanced topics that is objectively correct. And even though that's correct, we can see how it's improving upon those skills really, really quickly. So how long can we bank on that being the case? How long can we bank on it not continuing to get better? Because if it was in the 10th percentile at the beginning of the year, and then three months later, it's in the 90th percentile of the bar exam, what will it be in one year? What will it be in two years. We have to keep an eye on the trends to see where this is going. And if it keeps on improving at this rate, it's going to have, it, it will change the world in ways that we can't fully fathom at this point. Okay. So keep that in mind. And now let me bring this to the last point, And that is what I call centaur communication. Um, I'm super excited about this because it allows me to talk about, um, my favorite addiction, which is chess. So um, shout out to anybody out there who, who plays chess. Okay. Um, so I play on chess.com. I've played over 20,000 games. I'm obsessed with it. And I remember, well, no, I don't personally re remember that well. <laughs> but if you recall, back in 1997, uh, Gary Kasparov lost to Deep Blue. It was the first time a computer beat a human. We always used to think that humans were better at these types of computational skills. And it was a big deal in the chess world, but also in technology in general, that they were able to create something that could beat Kasparov at chess. And now when we fast forward a little bit, Kasparov came up with a, a new solution, which was really interesting. And he called it centaur chess. So when you think about the mythical creatures, the centaur, it's half horse, half man, right? And so with centaur chess, what you're doing is you're pairing a computer with a human. And a computer plus a human beats a computer by itself, which is really interesting. So you have the infinite computing power of the machine, but then the, the artistry of the human in tandem actually improved the quality of overall chess. Now, I want us to bring that same methodology to the difficult conversations we're having day to day. I think in the future, the most effective negotiators and the most effective communicators are going to be centaurs. 
they're going to be the ones who understand how and when to implement um, these artificial intelligence tools to improve their the quality of their communication, to improve the efficiency of their communication, but also injecting a little bit of humanity when it's necessary. I think this is the future of communication. And so for me, when I think about the where we are right now with artificial intelligence, um, it is a skill. Learning to use it is a skill. And you yourself as a human, you get better at using artificial intelligence the more you utilize artificial intelligence. And so my last comment on this when it comes to centaur communication is I want to encourage all of you to get on these platforms and try to try it out play around with it, see the differences between it. Because I was always using ChatGPT, for example, that's the one that's most popular right now. But in the last few weeks, I started using Bard by Google and it has different capabilities. It's connected to the internet. I think it's a little bit faster, um, but I feel like ChatGPT, especially GPT-4 is a better writer. Um, so it's, it's really interesting comparing those models too, but I think it would be beneficial for all of us in our own ways to figure out how we can utilize this technology to improve our communication skills too. And um, before I open it up to questions, just remember this, I'm going to drop an Easter egg here. Um, AI is working on something in that regard as well. That'll be really exciting. So hopefully at least by the end of the summer, we have some announcement on that. So cool. All right. So I've seen the chat moving, so this is good. Um, I wanna see if there are any questions. Um, Simone, can you put some up? Awesome, thanks Simone. Um, Sky, can you give an example of how you would use AI in negotiations? Thanks. So I wanna also shout out Martin Rand. If, you if you're not following Martin, check him out. I'll, we, should, we should tag him here in the comments too. He has, a, I don't know if it's the world's first, but I think it's the world's most popular right now automated negotiation platform, which is really cool. So it's in supply chain management and procurement, and they are partnered with, for instance, Walmart. And that platform is actually doing the negotiation on behalf of these companies, which is really fascinating. But for me, when I think about how I would use artificial intelligence as a centaur communicator, what I would do is, for instance, if I have to write an email now, I use it through ChatGPT. So what I would do is I would say, I would describe the situation, say, hey, um, I'm, at a, I'm in a consulting firm. I'm talking to a client. They had this concern. I want to respond in this way. I want to use this type of tone. And I would just ramble my thoughts, ramble it. And then I say, turn this into an email. <laughs> and then five seconds later, I get a pristine email, grammatically correct, all of those things. And I use it as my first draft creator. And so I would you take that first draft, make those edits, quamatize it, put it in my voice, send it. Um, and then when it comes to preparing for the negotiations, you can use the AI to prepare. So I might ask it to, I might describe the situation, ask it to come up with a list of questions that I might want to ask during the conversation. I might describe the situation and say, hey, what are some concerns that they might be having on the other side? Those type of things. So it helps me to brainstorm a little bit. I always want to make sure that I'm in the driver's seat and I'm leading the discussion and it's still Kwame leading the discussion. But in the preparation stage and the early stages of communication, I'll use that because it's more efficient when it comes to drafting and writing. And then it also helps me to see things from different angles too. Great question. Cool. All right, what other questions do we have? One of the fears people have around AI is that the technology will replace them. What are two ways professionals can employ the technology to enhance their skills? Yeah, I think the first thing we have to do is recognize that that is a legitimate concern. It's, it is legitimate. I think that 
we often do people a disservice by trying to soothe their concerns when they are legitimate concerns, right? So one of the things that people can do is start to get ahead of the curve and think about how strategically they can utilize artificial intelligence in their role and communicate that narrative to their managers, their colleagues, those type of things too. Because as companies are making decisions on what the future looks like, if they are potentially considering downsizing people because of the advent of artificial intelligence, the people who have demonstrated competence in artificial intelligence and have adopted it and have used it in a meaningful way in their role to increase productivity, I think that's going to be really critical in in making sure that you be, you remain indispensable for your company. You know, uh, I think it's about focusing on the key metrics of productivity. What is the output that you are trying to do day to day at work? Um, efficiency. Can you do more <laughs> with less? Um, those type of things. I think and saving money, cost savings for sure. If you're the person kind of leading the charge in that type of way, then it puts you in a position to be more indispensable going forward. Good. Good questions. Will you be utilizing AI for investing in the financial market? Uh, yeah. No, no. I and here and here's why, Alice. I'll be super straightforward on this because I'm not well versed in the financial market, and I am not capable of creating <laughs> an AI. And I know there are people who do both really well. And so even if I thought that was doable, I, I do think it's doable. I just don't think I have the capacity to to capitalize on it. But I probably would put my money with somebody who I believe can. Right. So that that's a good question. So I wouldn't pers personally be doing it, but I'll, I'll definitely go behind somebody who can convince me that they can. Cool. Oh, what if a person has access to a superior AI? I mean, there we go. It becomes an arms race. And I think that's one of the scariest, but also most exciting things about it, because it will be an arms race. I mean, think about how much money is going into this. Google lost billions of dollars just because um, Microsoft acquired um, OpenAI. Like nothing other than that, nothing happened, but their market value went down. You know, they, they, the, the, this is, there's a lot of money behind this. And there's never going to be a time where um, society, humanity as a whole says, you know what? We've advanced enough. We're good. <laughs> and so we will consistently run into those situations where somebody might have a superior AI. And then if it's your AI that you're using, you want to figure out a way to improve it. Or you might say, you know what? I lost because I was using the wrong one. And the, the superiority of the AI in those interactions becomes the best marketing tool for that company too. So yeah, I think that's why it's also important to focus on those human skills as well. Because if you find yourself kind of outgunned in that regard, um, you still want to be able to rely on something else. Um, my, my biggest fear is that it becomes kind of like a, an, an, a limiting factor for our, our personal skills development. You know, so that's a legit concern too. How would you pitch to your boss or company to start investing in AI? Who? That's good. Let me make some assumptions here, uh, Michael. Here, um, because if your boss has not started investing in or at least thinking about it, it's likely that they might be either a late adopter, just in general to technology, or they might be resistance. Let's go back to anthropocentric bias too. There are a lot of people who are just 
explicitly and sometimes implicitly biased against artificial intelligence. And so first, if it's a situation of resistance where there's actually explicit resistance, what I would do is I would empathize with them to try to figure out what it is that's holding them back. Tell me the root of this resistance. Help me to understand where you're coming from. And then once I gather that information, then I will tailor my pitch based on what their concerns are. Right. Because if they don't think that it's going to be beneficial, they don't think it's going to increase productivity. Great. Then I can tailor my pitch in that regard. If it's a situation where they they are afraid of it and there might be some data privacy concerns. OK, then I'll tailor my pitch based on those concerns. Right. So we, we have to figure out what the root of resistance is. And in, or, in order to persuade somebody on their own terms. Um, so, yeah, I think this is that's the way that's the best way to go forward doing it and i think also providing case studies of other organizations that have incorporated this effectively is going to be really beneficial as well so they can see some practical value there's a lot of there's you know the media has a tendency to do media things <laughs> with stories and sometimes it can be hard for people to see to understand what's real and what's not and so if you can give them a practical case study that speaks to um some that is somewhat related to your organization's industry, then I think that'll be really persuasive. Cool. How do you see, ooh, great question. How do you see the future of AI in healthcare? I mean, it's, it's significant. I mean, uh, Google announced recently with some of their uh, new tech as it relates to AI, I forget exactly what it was, but they were able to help to design, I believe, a, a, a better needle that could move medical advancements forward significantly. I'm not going to try to freestyle on it because uh, that's not that's a little bit outside of my um, my domain. But I will say this: it's going to have a significant impact, significant impact on all levels of medicine too. I was talking to Whitney about this as well. And um, they're experimenting, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. They're going to be incorporating AI in some capacity, and they're trying to figure out whether or not it could work for them. Um, and she's a primary care physician, too. So there are going to be some situations where maybe people interact with AI to a certain extent before interacting with a doctor. I can see that happening. But when it comes to experimentation, for me, I think that's the most interesting thing, because the with the infinite almost infinite computing power of artificial intelligence you can run multiple iterations of different simulations and and experiments and things like that and you can go through different hypotheses much much faster and that's going to lead to a lot of rapid advancements in technology in general but i think in healthcare that's going to be significant i when you think about the fact that over the course of humanity every generation seems to be living a little bit longer what do you think happens with medicine if we are able to rapidly advance our medical procedures, right? And, and our medical knowledge. There are a lot of people who are, are approaching and have been approaching aging as a disease. Now we have something with the capacity to explore that in ways that we have never done before. You know, so I think it's gonna have a revolutionary impact on the healthcare field too. How would AI um, impact social and economic divides? We got we have two options. We have two options. So we have the the utopian. Well, actually, let's say three options. Um, let's start with the third option, which I think is the, the most conservative of all of the predictions. So option number three is that we create this technology 
It has a significant impact on society and we enter an era of rapid technological advancement and people who can take advantage of it will benefit. People who miss the boat are at risk of not finding their place in the job market. So that is scenario number three. Scenario number one, two, they are a little bit more interesting. So we have the utopian future and then we have the dystopian future. So the utopian future is that we get to a point where we find ways to automate almost all of the work that we have to do. Human productivity is now outsourced almost entirely to machines. And then we create a leisure leisure class where people don't need to work at all or they don't need to work as much. Um, Kind of fantastical, but potentially possible, right? And so then we, the biggest challenge is finding meaning. But the other side is the dystopian future. This is where it gets really scary because then we have a few market leaders who have uh, an outsized impact on the financial future of the, com- of the country, but also they can claim a greater share of the, the resources that are available. And so they just keep on creating greater and greater and greater divides between them and other people. And then since they don't need to employ as many people in order to produce at a very high level, it creates a massive divide between the haves and have nots. So you have people who generate a lead and then exponentially expound on that lead. But then you have other people who don't have the the resources or the capacity to find their place in the market. Right. And so that is a very scary situation. So I think there is a a potential reality where it does exacerbate the divides that exist and create potentially some new ones. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to be aware of this and start having more of these conversations um, amongst ourselves, but on the policy level as well to talk about these potential outcomes and what we can do to, to mitigate some of those concerns. Cool. Oh, I see Alex's question. Will you implant a chimp into your brain to have access a to access AI faster? Yes. Listen, and this sounds like science fiction, but I want people to know this is real. The FDA just approved um, Elon Musk's company Neuralink, which I think is ridiculous that this is one of his least famous companies. <laughs> Electric cars are cool. Twitter is Twitter is not LinkedIn. Let's just put it that way. Twitter does its thing. But it is not LinkedIn. Um, But my bias is showing for sure. But Neuralink is really fascinating. These are brain implants, brain chips. This sounds like science fiction, but it is actually happening. And so they can put the chip into your brain. The their their hope is that it can cure blindness, blindness and some diseases and things like that. But when you expand it into the future, the the future looks a lot like a Black Mirror episode. Fun fact, shout out. I didn't know this was happening, but Black Mirror, the Netflix series, is coming back. I'm so I'm so excited. So, so excited. I digress. But I think it, it's a it's a legitimate future. So will I implant a chip into my brain? I will tell you this. Um, uh, I'm going to be a late adopter on that. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, there's going to need to be there's going to need to be a certain level of success. Let me put it to you this way, Alex. I want to try to be consistent. If it is not as dangerous as driving a car. So if I look at the 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 highway safety numbers and the FAA, the, the, you know, the plane statistics for safety. If I look at those things and I can see, okay, the death rate is comparable to what it is at Neuralink, then I'll do it. But I'm not, I like my brain. I feel like I have a decent one, so I'm not going to risk it (laughs) just on a hope that it doesn't get fried, you know? So 
I'm going to need to see a, a track record of success before I commit in that way. But notice, Alex, that wasn't a no. That was not a no. So awesome question. Awesome question. How do we know if AI-generated knowledge is based on true facts? We don't. That's another big problem. Because I talked about the emergent properties, how it can learn something that it was not necessarily explicitly told to learn. But we also have the reality of hallucinations. Hallucinations are when occur when it has um, <laughs> when it answers something with confidence. And it's very wrong. I remember one of the first things I did was I, I put my name in into ChatGPT. I was like, who is Kwame Christian? And they said, Kwame Christian is the director of the American Negotiation Institute. He's also the author of Negotiating While Black. Hmm. Negotiating while black, you say? I am black. I have a history of negotiating while black because I have no other option. But I have not written a book on that topic. And there's no book on that topic, at least to my knowledge. <laughs> I know I haven't written that book and I don't know if it exists, but it said it with confidence. So how do we know whether or not it's true? That's why there still needs to be a human driver of this. And that's why when it comes to content creation, it's incumbent upon the person creating the content to review the content to make sure it's sound. So for me, if I use um, artificial intelligence to create any content, I still know enough about negotiation to know where it's right or where it's wrong. The problem is we have people who can manipulate information, but I honestly think the thing that's scarier, that it, it's going to be those people who perpetuate mistruths and they don't even realize that they're doing it. That's scary. So that is one element of artificial intelligence regulation that I think needs to be really explored, especially before 2024's election. I mean, it's here right now. The election is happening right now, essentially. And artificial intelligence should be one of the top things that we discuss. Um, and I think I'm afraid that America is very reactionary in a lot of situations. And I feel like something bad needs to happen before we start to take this a little bit more seriously. So I was encouraged by the congressional hearings. When you think about the fact that, think about the, the how rare what happened a few weeks ago when Sam Altman and some other leaders in artificial intelligence were at Congress. There's never been a situation where an industry said, hey, everybody, we're creating something super powerful. You should regulate us. Think about that. They came and told on themselves, right? That's rare. That, that tells you how powerful this is. So I think there have to be some really serious conversations about truth. I mean, we have to have some very serious philosophical conversations about what is truth? What is humanity? What is consciousness? What is sentience? Like, does, have we created something that's a, alive, right? Are we there yet? I don't know. So, but these are conversations because I think we've never, we've never really had to explore consciousness and sentience in the way that we have to, to wrestle with it now. So it's fascinating. So a lot of important conversations need to happen and understanding truth and how we can make sure that these um, AI platforms are not perpetuating things that are not true or hurtful. I think that's really important. Great. Awesome question. Cool. All right, peeps. Well, it seems like we're out of questions. I, I appreciate this in, engagement and your interaction. And, and thanks for staying with me the, through this presentation. Presentation, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a live. It feels like a presentation. Let's say presentation. Um, but yeah, we want to get back on the cadence of doing this regularly. So expect 
at least two every month going forward. And if you have suggestions for topics for future LinkedIn Lives, let us know. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.